Okay, so thank you so much, Carol, for joining me on my new Sunshine channel. Um, when I had thought of um, the concept and the idea of doing this, um, you were top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm delighted you're here. And um, for those of you who don't know Carol, Carol um, is at... How, how do I say this? IBCLC, is that yeah, it? Yeah, IBCLC, yeah. So it's an independent board certified lactation consultant. Exactly. Working in a private practice as well as a Laletia League leader. Um, and where, where, where do you support women with your Laletia League? Um, so that's in Belfast. I run the Laletia League group in Belfast. Okay. And Carol started to get involved in breastfeeding um, soon after her first son was born 10 years ago. And Carol is a mum of two boys who have taught her lots about breastfeeding and inspired her passion. And Carol is currently training to become a psychotherapist um, so she can help support mums that are struggling with anxiety and depression. So, welcome. And I know certainly mm -hmm. from um, my breastfeeding journey with my son, Sonny, um, I had you tortured <laughs> <laughs> You did not. <laughs> with questions. Um, but I was very lucky in that a friend of a friend introduced me to Carl. And then at the time I was living in Mid Ulster and Carl was um, um, supporting the Mahara breast mm -hmm. group, which I went along to when I was just about to have Sunny. Yeah. I remember um, feeling very overwhelmed. <laughs> I know. I remember so clearly you coming to that meeting. And I know, I remember all the other mums were so keen to give you loads of information and tell you loads of stuff. And when you were leaving, I thought, I hope she comes back. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether she will. I hope she comes back. That was a lot of stuff fired at you. Yeah. I think from memory, I think the, the, the conversations that particular week was about sleep. Yes. Should I say that's right? And yes. sleep deprivation. <laughs> yes. I thought, oh my goodness, I might never sleep again for this. Yes. Um, but what I loved about that group um, was the realness of it. And I think um, becoming a new mum, there's not enough of that. Yeah. Lost about, um, you know, how difficult it is in, in yes. the initial and well not even just in the initial time but there's ages and stages isn't there it can be difficult there's ages and stages and there's a lot of there you know it's it's there's a lot of people out there and they're just not being honest about how difficult it is i think that's the thing which which you know maybe you find different different about the group for women we're actually sharing this i'm struggling with this i got no sleep i'm finding it really difficult um and that's what that's what life is like with new babies you, you do struggle with lack of sleep but it's really difficult um and there's so much pressure around sleep i mean that that's the most common question i think that you get when you get a new baby is your baby sleeping is they are they a good baby and that means are they sleeping yes so yes. yeah and and people often don't really tell the truth about that that they're struggling with sleep because then they're going to get all this advice heaped on them about what they should be doing. Yes. Which exactly. doesn't help. Yeah, no, it, it's not very helpful. So maybe we could just touch on sleep for... for yeah, sure. <laughs> because it is a huge, it is a huge part um, of having a new baby is the, the is. lack of sleep. Um, talk us through how 
breastfed babies or breastfeeding can help you get more sleep? Or is okay. that- <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I think, you know, with new babies, you're going to lose a lot of sleep. Anyway, no matter how you feed your baby, you're going to lose a lot of sleep. And the sleep patterns can be a bit different for breastfed and formula-fed babies. So breastfed babies will probably feed a little bit more frequently than than formula-fed babies do. But it's a very different process feeding your baby in the night if you are breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. You know, you're breastfeeding, you kind of wake up, you stir a little bit, you pick up your baby, you latch them on. You both stay in a pretty sleepy kind of state. The baby feeds, you put the baby back down to sleep, you lie down and you go straight back to sleep. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're formula feeding, your baby stirs, you have to get up, you have to go downstairs or go to the kitchen, wherever that is. You have to boil water, you have to make up formula, you have to wait for it to cool. It takes a lot longer. By the time you get back to your baby, your baby is probably going to be awake and crying. Mm-hmm. You then have to settle your baby, you have to get your baby fed, back to sleep. By that time, you're totally awake, and it's much harder for you to get back to sleep. Mm-hmm. So, although they might, a formula-fed baby might be might be feeding a little bit less frequently, mm-hmm. you know, the mums and dads actually get less sleep, and that's that's what we know from the research is that that breastfeeding mums actually get a bit more sleep mm-hmm. than than their formula feeding. Yeah. So, it's yeah. So, whenever you're breastfeeding. Sorry, I missed that, Carol. What did you say there? Oh, you're just in a more rested state kind of throughout the night when you're breastfeeding. Yes. So there's a lot of um, misconceptions about co-sleeping and breastfeeding. And and some of it's scary, let's be honest, because you've you've a new baby and um, you want your baby to be obviously safe at night. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so can you talk us through, because I know that was when I had Sunny and I was breastfeeding, we co-slept, but I did yes. a huge amount of research, not only into breastfeeding, but also into co-sleeping. So yes. mother really safe in the decision that I had. Yes. So can you talk us through the research with regards to that and uh, I suppose how, how to um, safely co-sleep with your baby? Yes. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. It's about making it. It's about making it safe. So first of all, um, I think the first thing to say is that it is natural for mammals to sleep with their babies. You know, we're the really the only mammal who would think that would be a normal thing to put your baby somewhere separate from you. All other mammals curl up around their babies, you know, when they are sleeping and sleep with them. Um, and that's we look at all these lovely pictures of mammal mums with their babies. We think, oh, how cute! Isn't that lovely? But then we try to put our own babies. Mm-hmm. more secure and they sleep better when they're with us yeah. but you're absolutely right it's about safety and it's not safe for every family mm-hmm. um, and it needs to be done in a safe way so babies do tend to sleep better and mums will sleep breastfeeding mums will sleep better if they are together but you have to make kind of quite strict criteria to make sure that that is safe so it doesn't be like a full-term healthy baby and mm-hmm. um, babies that are very low birth weight or premature they're just a bit more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, baby needs to be on their back. Mm-hmm. Um, they there needs to be no one smoking who is in in the bed, and I think that's a big thing, and which mm-hmm. makes it just compl- you have to just rule it out for some people all together. Mm-hmm. So nobody can be smoking. Nobody can have taken any kind of drugs or alcohol that might impair them. Mm-hmm. Um, baby can't be too hot. It does need to be a breastfeeding 
mum, breastfeeding mums sleep with their babies in a slightly different way to formula feeding mums. Um, they tend to they tend to sleep with their babies down at their breast and they curl around them and they tend mm. to have their arm kind of up so the baby can't mm. get up into the pillows and if their legs curl around so the baby can't get down. Whereas we know from the research that formula feeding mums tend to have babies up near their face. I don't know why this is, but it is the way that we that we just place our babies when we sleep yeah. with them. So then those babies are in the pillows. Mm -hmm. You know, they're up near the pillows, so that there's, that makes it less safe. safe. Yeah. So there's there's a series of, of of things around that that you have to make safe. It has to be a proper bed, and that is one of the big things as well. I think which is important why we talk about this because you you're you're tired when yeah. you're when you're when you have a newborn. You are sleep deprived and when you're breastfeeding you get bathed in all these lovely hormones that make you sleepy and they're designed to make you sleepy so there is a likelihood that you may fall asleep but if people are afraid of sleeping in the bed then they'll think well i can't do this this isn't safe i'll go to the sofa i'll go and put them you, on the sofa you're talking about breastfeeding in the bed with your baby yes well just generally generally you know people are worried sometimes about feeding in the bed in case they fall asleep Mm -hmm. uh, and then they think, well, I'll go down and sit on the sofa, you know, and I'll hold my baby there. Or baby will only sleep on them. So maybe yes. not even particularly that they're breastfeeding, but the baby will only sleep on them. But they're worried about doing it in the bed. So they'll go and sit on the sofa. But, you know, it's actually more risky if you fall asleep in that That's situation right. Right. than if you have me at the bed safe. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the NICE guidelines have actually changed on that a few years ago, where they used to say that it shouldn't be done. You shouldn't sleep with your baby. They no longer say that. They now say that parents should be informed. You know, they should be given the appropriate information so that they can make an informed decision mm -hmm. about where their baby should sleep and where is the right place for them. Um, and the Lullaby Trust have brought out information about co-sleeping as well. Right. So it is, it is the biologically, physiologically normal way to sleep is with our babies. Mm -hmm. um, but with public health messaging, you know, the thing about public health messaging is you have you have to kind of one simple message that applies to all. So you have to look yeah, you have to look at everything. And whenever you look at everyone, there's going to be people that can't do it because there's, you know, one of the parents is a smoker or, you know, someone is, you know, or maybe they they're maybe they have sleep issues and they are taking something to help them sleep. Yeah, medication. You know, those kind of environments yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't be safe. So mm -hmm. so there has been this public health message that just don't do it. But that's no longer that's no longer what the guidance is from Nice or from the Lullaby Trust. Very good. That's good to know. I didn't actually know that. So yeah. obviously changed from I was. Um, yes. Yeah. So um, so it's exactly as you say. It's about it's about parents getting that information, reading yeah. through it, and so that they can say, right, you know, what's the risk profile? Do I meet that profile? Where am I comfortable with my baby sleeping and making the right decision for them? Mm -hmm. It's interesting because. Um, oh, Sonny will be five now in February and in many ways you, for, you do forget about those early days don't you, mm -hmm. the older they get mm -hmm. and just when you yep. where you position your baby in the bed I remember we talked about that one of the weeks at, at, at our um, Harala Lech meeting and um, I actually was sleeping like that um, what's the word that was just the way my body naturally just uh, yes. curled around sunny and yes. breast mm -hmm. uh, like i i most definitely did fall asleep when he was feeding mm -hmm. mm -hmm. i also just say that actually sunny um 
I still co-sleep, so Sonny still sleeps in the bed with me, and I think yeah. um, this is another big thing, isn't it? But, it is. Um, you know, kids sleeping in their own bed, in their own room, um, and I'm of the belief that they'll do that whenever they're ready. Yes. Uh, I also think what you touched on at the start was that sometimes people aren't very honest about their sleeping arrangements as well. Yes. If was more honest about it, we'd realise, well, actually, we're all kind of similar. The kids do. Absolutely. In the middle of the night, whether they yeah. stay there or they go back to their room. Um, so, so, yeah. yeah. Can, can we maybe on... Um, something that I think as women and as mothers we all feel and that is um, pressures from society and mm-hmm. programming that we feel um, it's hard to get away from it you, you, you can't kind of break away from it it's there all the time yes if family members or from the media or from friends or so can we touch on that yes yes I, I, I think you're absolutely right. There are all these kind of social norms out there which aren't biological norms. You know, they aren't, they aren't the physiological norms. They, they have come, you know, they've really come through industrialization, really. Whenever people needed to go to work and needed to go to factories and everything kind of changed and, you know, psychology started and early psychologists started having theories about what parenting should be like mm-hmm. and wrote books about, you know, not you know, not giving your child too much attention and all this kind of stuff, which just skewed us away from what was biologically normal and what everybody would have been doing a couple of hundred years ago. So, is, when it was, so sorry, when you say industrious times, how, how long back are you going uh, with regards to that? Like, is it, are we talking about... Well, this? I suppose it, it, it'll depend kind of, I suppose, whether, you know, people were in urban situations or rural situations that that will very much depend but you know in urban situations if you think about Victorian times whenever there were factories and women needed to suddenly be in factories and they needed to be there for periods of time that's really when scheduled feeding came in you know feeding babies every four hours because women had to be working and they had to come back and take a break and um, babies would have been brought to the factory at that time and fed through railings and things like that yeah so I meant Victorian times um so you're talking 1800s kind of then really yeah but I mean it may have been different it may have been different in Ireland you know and where things were much more rural and so we don't I don't really know there's not there aren't really good research on you know how things would have changed at different times but we do know what is biologically normal and what babies expect and we do know what our social norms are at the minute and they don't really line up particularly well at all and I mean where you're talking about night times and people moving around, I think that's what's normal. And, you know, in most families, you know, there's a bit of musical beds that goes on <laughs> in, in the evenings. That, that's what happens. You yeah. know, if you've, got, if you've got children, that's what happens. They're getting up because they have to go to the toilet or they had a bad dream or they need a cuddle or they need to get in beside you or they've got an exam at school or, you know, they're, they've fought with a friend or, you know, there's all kinds of things happening and, you know, they're getting up and they're either in with you or they're coming in for a period of time or they're coming from a cuddle and you can get resettled back in bed. Mm. Um, and people are moving around beds. One, a child might come down and, you know, a partner might move away, you know, to another bed. And that's, that's the reality of what's happening, you know. But I don't think people talk about it enough, you know. We just assume 
we assume that everybody is putting their child to bed at seven or eight o'clock and then they stay there until you know seven o'clock the next morning and that's yeah. the way it is and that's I don't think that's reality for most people no you know you know you know I was watching the other night um Grand Designs uh-huh. and um this couple had built this fabulous big house and their bedroom was up at the very top of it, like in the attic part of it. Yeah. And when you walked up the stairs, there was a corridor and there was two bedrooms. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I thought, this is quite radical. This is, this is, this is quite amazing. And um, so they had two bedrooms, one for her. Well, actually that's a lie. They had their marital bed and then they okay. had their bedroom that one or one or either of them could go to if um, a child was up or if yes. they were snoring or if there was some discussion yes. in the middle of the night. And I thought that is just amazing that they've put that out there to show that actually this is normal yes. that goes on in every household everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And but and you know, most people who hear like this this is going out to a Northern Ireland audience, most yes. people probably will have been to the Folk and Transport Museum in Coltraw. You walk around those houses. I mean, how many bedrooms are there, and what sizes were those families? Those families were all sharing bedrooms. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's not like it's not like it is now where we expect that you know parents are in a room and all the children are in their individual rooms, or there's maybe two of them to a room, but yeah. there's not much more than that. People being in very small houses, maybe ten children in two bedrooms. I know. You know. That's that's the way it was. So the the way what our social norms are now are very different to what with what they were not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people really worry that if they have their small child in their bed, that they're not going to be able to move them out. And they worry about this really early on. You know, mm-hmm. they they worry. You know, when their baby is really young, that well, they'll never get them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not. That's not what happens in reality. I mean, in re- reality, no matter what we do, how we parent, our babies, they grow up and they grow away. Yeah. And that's, that's what they do. It's sad. It is, I know. <laughs> it's sad. <laughs> it's sad and it's wonderful all at the same time. Yeah. But that's what they do. They grow up and they grow away, no matter what we do. And, you know, just because you have your, you know, your four or five-year-old in your, in your bed now, that doesn't mean that, you know, he's going to be there in another few years. No. You know, they move, they do move out into their own room. They want their own independence. Yeah. So it yeah. comes. Absolutely. So if, if we can go back to um, breastfeeding and how many women actually breastfeed um, or choose to breastfeed. So we, in 2017, the statistics show that almost 60% of women in Northern Ireland attempted to breastfeed whilst in, in hospital, whilst they had their, their babies. Um, but am I right in saying that we have one of the lowest breastfeeding rates in Europe? Yes. Yes. So why, why when 60%, which I think is quite a high percentage of women choosing to, to breastfeed, mm-hmm. why does that drop off? So many reasons. So many reasons. Um, I mean, first of all, that 60% is really good. And that's the highest that I've seen it for a while. It has been creeping up, which is really good. It has, um, it's been, you know, it's been above 50 for quite a long time. So we do know that the majority of women mm-hmm. want to breastfeed and start breastfeeding. And that's, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time 
they come out of hospital, it has already dropped. You know, by the time of discharge, it's already dropped below the 50%. It's kind of, at, you know, 43, 40, 43 to 45%. I haven't got the figures in front of me. something like, like that. Um, and that's in a really short period of time. So for, for, for some women, that will be a few hours later. For some women, it might be three or four days later, depending on how the birth has gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and how the birth has gone will be a big part of that. Huge. So, you know, a birth can go fantastically well and very little interventions and be, you know, the woman can feel empowered and, you know, really confident about how it has gone. And it's fantastic. Or it can go really differently. You know, it can be, uh, it can be a really long protracted birth, which has been very difficult for both the mum and the baby. The mum may be very sore. She may have had a lot of kind of, you know, there may have been forceps and stitches and all kinds of things. And some women will feel like, you know, I, I can't, the, this, the breastfeeding is too hard on top yeah. of all of this. I just can't do it. And mm-hmm. um, others will feel a lot of pressure that, well, the birth didn't go as I wanted. I really, I, I need to do this because I need to do this, right? This is the thing I need to do to fix that. So there's all this pressure around that. But the baby... Has, has the other half of that and if there's been a really difficult birth baby may be sore you know they may have a sore head there may be a lot of molding they may be bruised mm-hmm. there may be lots of painkillers used which is affecting how alert they are and how well they can latch on mm-hmm. so there's all sorts of things like that and you know it, it can be very difficult in the early days anyway some babies get up immediately they just they they're born and they latch on and it's brilliant and other babies, it takes a day or two because of whatever's happened at birth for them for them to get it, you know, for them to really latch on and feed well. And there's a lot of pressure on, on mums. If the baby is not feeding well in the, you know, in the first day, there's a lot of pressure to, well, as this isn't really working out, you know. Yes, yes. They might have to use a little, you know, they might be suggested that they have to use a little bit of formula at that point. And it will depend on what that mum's attitude is to formula then. You know, some will just think, well, you know, they've had some formula now, this isn't working, you know, I may as well just carry on with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and some mums will, will say it as well, this is just a thing to get me over this little hump. I can't stay, keep breastfeeding. So it will depend on the support that she is getting and the information she's getting about whether this is a temporary thing or not, you know, as well. And it is, it's, it's like, it's totally, totally overwhelming. And like, it's like, for those of you who don't know, and actually have never actually spoken about it publicly, only to friends, but I had planned a home birth, a water birth at home. And after 17 hours, then it transferred to hospital for an assisted delivery. So, um, the emotion that I was devastated like devastated yeah I couldn't even put it into words how devastated I was that I was in hospital and I'd I'd Mm -hmm. had different interventions then the placenta wouldn't come away so Mm -hmm. I ended up in theater and I ended up having an epidural which is what I did not want Um, and and it was delivered by suction delivery so it, it was not the way yes. I had dreamed, planned, envisaged, researched to the health about how mm-hmm. I wanted my birth to be. 
but that's the way it was. And yes. myself, um, I, 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 I was grieving. I was, I was yes. grieving the birth. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And no one really could understand that because the message that I got in hospital was, um, well, aren't you lucky that you have a healthy baby? And I mm-hmm. said, well, that was always part of the plan. <laughs> that was yes. always yes. part of, you yes. know, I always wanted a healthy baby. Um, but sure, you're okay now and the baby's okay now. And, you know, it was this very kind of stiff upper lip. Mm-hmm. Nobody mm-hmm. really understood how devastated I was. And what I would say to mums out there is, if your birth doesn't go according to your plan, um, you know, do seek out some support, additional support after you have your baby. Because I know from myself, it was going to the group with yourself, Carol, and all the other women, and mm-hmm. actually talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. That that really helped with the healing of it and the grief yes. and the acceptance yes. of it. But yes. okay, this is my birth. I'm going to own my birth now and mm-hmm. accept it for what it is. But I'm mm-hmm. still even talking about it now. I can still I could cry. I could cry. Yes. Hat. Yes. So, births do matter. How we birth. Births, births do matter. Absolutely, they are a huge physical and emotional experience for us to go through they absolutely do matter and the experience that you have as a woman matters mm-hmm. um you know I, I just the way that you were saying there that you know they were saying well, sure aren't you lucky you've got this healthy baby mm-hmm. there is almost this it's like i i've heard it referred to as, as like a sweet analogy like a sweet and a sweet wrapper and you get the sweet out and that's the baby and everybody cares about the baby and everybody's worried about the baby and all the checks are being done on the baby and the sweet wrapper is just discarded. And nobody is really looking at the mum. I mean, they'll look at the physical side of the mum and making sure everything, but yeah. there, isn't, there isn't this kind of support for, well, this did not go as you want and you felt completely out of control there where this was taken, you know, this idea was taken from you and this other thing was what you experienced instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a huge thing. It's an absolutely huge thing. And it can take you, it can take a while for you to come to terms with that. And you're doing that on top of just this, all of this other stuff around learning what to do with this small little person that you've suddenly got, mm-hmm. that you've got no, that you've got no experience of, and you've got no manual to tell you what to do. You've got, so you've got all of this huge stuff that you have to learn on top of all this emotional stuff that you're processing, it's really, it can be really difficult. And that's, and that's what it is, is, you know, as, as a woman, you, I, I thought that this would be easy. Yeah. <laughs> I thought mm-hmm. how difficult can breastfeeding be? You just pop your baby on your boob and away you go. Yeah. Actually, it's a skill. It's, 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 it's a skill. It's a skill. Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. That we don't see that often yes. in society. Like yes. before I had Sunny, I I could count I could count on a, on one hand or less than one hand the amount of breastfed babies I have seen over the years. Mm-hmm. So we don't know. And babies no. don't know either. Babies knew to all of this too. Yes, absolutely. It's like the two of us are the two, you know, it's like mommy and baby are learning this new skill together. 
Yes, and it is really, it is a hugely difficult thing to, to learn to do. And you're doing it on top of sleep deprivation and all of this other stuff. And you have to, you have to be doing it kind of well enough that the baby is getting enough milk and, and thriving. So there's a, there's a lot of pressure on you to get, the, to get this new thing right, to learn it very quickly and, and to get it right. It's, it's a really difficult thing. And I think, I think that there's a problem with that whole idea that it should be easy. Mm. And because it's natural, it's easy. You know, there's this, there's this idea that those two things are, are linked, you know, that natural mm. equals easy. And it doesn't, and I don't know why we've got that for breastfeeding because we don't have it for birth. Yes. You know, nobody, birth is a completely natural experience, but nobody goes into that thinking, well, this will just be a breeze and, <laughs> you know, and I'll not have to worry about it. And we talk lots to women about how to, how to get through it and how to manage the difficult yes. parts of it. And this is what you can do for pain relief. And here are all your different options. Mm -hmm. And nobody really talks about that enough about breastfeeding that actually this is difficult too. Yeah. These are the things that will help you get through those early weeks. And it's okay to use pain relief. Yes. as well yes. because you know breastfeeding is difficult and I mean there are, there are some people who their baby is born and they pop them on the breast and that's it mm -hmm. and everything goes great but they are the minority they're mm -hmm. the minority most women struggle with some aspect of it you know um, and you know while you're learning it can be painful oh. too and oh, I mean, like in my, I mean, in my experience, and, and, I, and, I, and I think it's a real problem that like, you know, you'll get things on the internet saying that it should be completely painless from start to finish from the minute your baby is born, because that's not really the truth of it. No. It becomes, it becomes completely painless from start yes. to finish and, and easy and, and all of that Effortless stuff. And, but, yeah. And, yeah, and, all of and, that. and, and also I would say like, an amazing parenting tool. Absolutely. Like, the Absolutely. most amazing parenting tool. Yeah. Have. But in those early days, like when Sunny initially latched on, it was toe curling. Like it literally. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. yes. And that, that's what it is. It's, it's a really, it's really intense. Mm -hmm. It's a really intense pain. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, I think that maybe, you know, people are afraid to tell mums that. Yeah. In case they don't breastfeed, mm -hmm. um, but they don't, but they don't approach birth in the same way. No, you know, they'll tell them this is going to be sore, yes. and you know, and it's really intense, and it will build, and it will get more and more intense, mm -hmm. and you know, even after your baby, that they think of it like after pains, you know, that your baby is born, and this is like part of what happens. You know, you're going to be feeling these after pains as your womb contracts back down, but every day that passes after the birth, it gets less and less. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I encourage them to kind of think of it like that about breastfeeding. Um, and obviously that, it, that the pain should only be right at the start. It's only as they latch on. Yeah. It's only as they're kind of extending the nipple. But it should only last a few seconds. And it should be for a few days. And it should be getting less and less and less. And then it should be completely pain-free from start to finish and enjoyable and wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, and even in those first few days, you know, they might get this really intense pain but it should be gone, you know, 20, 30 seconds and it should be gone. And then the rest of the feet should be enjoyable and yeah. nice. And, you know, it has to be nice or we wouldn't do it. Exactly. You know, humans wouldn't exactly. be here if they didn't get these really nice, you know, you know, these kind of really rewarding hormones. Mm. Yeah. It. It, has to, it has to feel really good yeah. or else you wouldn't, you wouldn't do it. And that's nature has kind of put all of these really rewarding feelings and hormones into it. 
so that you keep picking up your baby and putting them on because that's what the baby needs to yeah. survive. Yeah. So how can we support women, um, do you think, Carol? Like, um... This is an important conversation because for me, a lot of it is about realistic expectations. You know, I think a lot of us, whenever we have our first babies, you know, our expectations are nothing like the reality. And then reality hits you like a ton of bricks and it's really difficult to kind of match these two things up. Um, I know that's what it was like for me. Yeah. You know, whenever whenever I had my first baby, I was so naive mm -hmm. about, I assumed, you know, you put your baby on, you fed them, then you just, you put them down in a cot or a pram and they slept there for three hours <laughs> and they wake up. They'd wake up three hours later and you'd feed them and you'd put them down again and that's that's how it would go. And it was just it was a complete shock to me oh, to find out. You know, the feeding actually went quite well with him and that so I didn't I didn't really struggle with the feeding so much for him. It was more that, you know, this that he wouldn't be set down. And I had not been prepared for that. I hadn't been prepared for how much a baby needs you you need your body yes. physically. Yes. And it's it's yes. not all about feeding. They no. need to be on your body, they need to be held, they need to be carried and they're not happy, they're not settled unless they feel you and I was completely unprepared for that, yeah. completely unprepared. So I think we can really help people by talking about that and saying yeah, this, this is normal, yeah. this is normal, this is what norm normality is, yes. you know, baby. Yes. Can you repeat that, sorry, Carl, just about the, the babies being close to us and being on us? Yeah, yeah, that, that they just, they need you really intensely. The babies, they need your bodies, you know, you're, we, we, we're very good at telling women straight after birth that their baby should be on their body and it's really important yes. for them, you know, skin to stabilize to their heart rate. Yeah, the skin to skin, it's really important mm -hmm. to stabilize their heart rate and to stabilize their breathing and, and their blood sugar and all these other things. Um, and then we kind of wheel them back you know, out of delivery, back to maternity ward, and they're, you know, into the bed with this little cot beside them, this little plastic cot beside them. And then mums think, well, the cot's there, that must be where I'm supposed to put the baby. We don't really talk about, actually, it's okay to keep holding your baby, and your baby really wants to be held. And when you go home, your baby yeah. still really wants to be held. Mm -hmm. And for weeks and months, your baby really wants to be held mm -hmm. and that it's normal and it's okay for them to want to be on you and to want to sleep on you and to want to fall asleep at the breast and all of that. And I think it's really important that we talk about that kind of thing yeah. and prepare, prepare. Yeah, because there's a huge, um, there's a huge conditioning um, and belief in society that, you know, if you hold your baby too much, you're going to spoil your baby. And um, I think that's a really sad yeah. It's really sad. The it's system, really sad. you know, yeah. they're only they're they're tiny wee things, you know. They're tiny yeah. things, and they need you. They need you. You know, when babies are born, they're they're kind of they're they're just about working. You know, they're, they're none of their systems are really very mature. You know, the, the the basic systems are in place. The basic life support systems are in place, but they're not very good at regulating them. Um, and that comes as they get bigger, and it's really because we give birth to them. Um, we're kind of limited how long we can gestate them because we've yes. learned to stand upright and we have, we've got fairly narrow pelvis and we have to give birth to them um, when we do because if we allowed them to, their brain to develop any further we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to birth them. Mm -hmm. um, but they're very, our babies are they're kind of premature if you think about 
other mammals, you know, if you think about um, cows or horses or sheep or any of that, you know, when the babies are born, within a very short time, they're up on their feet and they're following mum yeah. around. Yeah, that's true. Even, even little dogs and cats, you know, they're a bit more immature. They're, you know, their eyes are closed, they're kind of blind whenever they're born. But very quickly, you know, within a few days, they're up and they're running about and um, very, our babies are very different. They're, yeah. they're really very helpless. Mm-hmm. Um, and their, their brain is just not as developed to do, to do those things. And they do, they're really designed to be born and move onto your chest and be held there and to finish the development there. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's um, you know, they'll be referred to in some books as extra gestates mm-hmm. for, that, for that first three months where they're just, they're supposed to just be on you and continuing their, their development. You know. and, and, and for any women out there that are thinking, how on earth do I get anything done? Because I have other children, I have other things to do around the house. And that's where slings come in. Slings, slings on your friend. Yeah, yes. they were the best invention ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. had one with Sonny when he was born, right up to, oh my goodness, I think he was like, until I couldn't carry him, basically, two and a half. Yeah. yeah. I think that's when we yeah. was like, all right, I can't do this anymore. We're done with the sling. Uh, you're too heavy. But they're they're great, aren't they? Yeah, and, they absolutely and, are. And actually, yeah. I, I remember taking Sonny um, shopping and breastfeeding him in yeah. the sling. And like, yes. he would have been, any the wiser of what I was doing. Um, mm-hmm. You can be very discreet. Not that you have to Absolutely. be discreet, by the way. You don't have to be discreet when you're breastfeeding. Um, but, yeah, they're a great job, aren't they? They are. They're absolutely fantastic. And like you say, I mean, they don't use a sling because, you know, it's really difficult, you know. A sling lets you have your hands free. Your baby's still being held so they'll you know they'll they're happy because their needs are being met but you've got your hands free you've got your hands free to tend to your other children or to make them food or whatever needs to be done um yes i think everybody should have slings yeah. everybody should have slings great invention <laughs> <laughs> imagine being carried about all day every day how fabulous and yeah. um, can we can we quickly touch on a couple of big issues that can impact um, a breastfeeding journey. One I have had experience with myself and that is tongue tie. It can mm-hmm. be quite a common thing but I know from my own experience it, it nearly finished mine and Sonny's breastfeeding journey because um, well because the NHS were so reluctant to mm-hmm. actually acknowledge it first of all and then when they did acknowledge it they said oh well it's not that bad we don't know that it actually needs snapped yeah but I'm telling you that it's affecting my breastfeeding journey it's affecting his ability to latch properly mm-hmm. to get a good deep latch and to feed yeah actually Sonny's sodium levels went down and um, because because yeah. of and um, mm-hmm. so it was only it was through La Leche and through yourself Carol that I was basically I had all the information and I knew what I had to do but it was a fight. Um, actually, the day that I got it, that he got it snipped with the NHS, I had a private appointment booked for Belfast to get it done mm-hmm. down there. So I was prepared to pay whatever it is to get it to get it snipped. But um, for the vast majority of women, that maybe you know, 
Like I was armed with all this support and all this information, but I find it a real struggle. Yeah. You know, in the system, yeah. to get it diagnosed and to get it rectified. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I think there's a lot of misconception around it. And I think mm -hmm. in the NHS, there's a lack of, I don't know, dare I say it, knowledge, understanding about it as well. Well, it's a hugely complicated area. And I think that's, that's the first thing. It is, it is really complicated. Oh. Sorry, Michelle, I got another call there. <laughs> I got another <laughs> call. I had to just decline it. But it is, it is a really complex area. I mean, even within you know, professional lactation forums, there's a lot of debate about tongue tie and the way it's treated and what's the right way to approach it. So, um, so it is now would be different than you had because I think it is um, you know it is picked up a lot earlier now and I would see a lot of referrals being done within the NHS now. Um, it is pretty common although maybe not as maybe not as common as people think. Mm. Um, like the the studies will suggest that it's we don't really know exactly what the what the rates are because studies will define it slightly differently. Um, but you know maybe five to seven percent would be quite normal some studies might go as high as 10% of babies um, but so and it's it's a genetic component so it just it means that the little frenulum under the tongue is either attached to too far forward on the tongue or um, it, it's tighter in some way and so kind of holds the, the tongue on the floor of the mouth so the tongue is not able to lift as well it's not able to extend out of the mouth as well and so the baby can't open his wide latch on and, and rest well um, and that causes lots of different kinds of problems and it will depend on how that tongue tie is actually presenting and what the mum's breast is like and how the two of them fit together, what the problems will, will be. For some people it might be that the baby is not getting enough milk and so yeah. there, there's, there's issues there with weight gain. Um, for other people it might be that they are having terrible pain mm. um, and trauma that's happening now. Um, in some ways, it might be too readily <laughs> diagnosed okay. now in some areas. It's, it's, it depends. We don't, the problem is that there isn't a really very good kind of consistent response to it. I think that's, that's the issue. So in some areas, maybe they're being overdiagnosed, and in some areas, maybe they're being underdiagnosed. And, you know, maybe nobody's getting just the perfect kind of service of how, you, of how it should be, you know. Um, but certainly, there's, there's better services in place now. There is um, there's a very good tongue tie clinic in Antrim Hospital, which Hopefully. covers all which covers all of the Northern Trust. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think longer term, you know, hopefully that will become a regional mm -hmm. centre. Um, but yes, all, the rest of the trusts will go to will either be treated through ENT or through um, an oral surgeon in Belfast. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely better now than than what you experienced. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's really good to hear. So, if if you think your baby does have tongue tie, what should what should what should mothers do? What should be their first protocol? Who should they contact? Well, so they have they've they've different route, either the NHS route or the private route that they can go down. So, on the NHS route, it would be to talk to your midwife or health visitor first of all. Um, the I think the slight problem is that some of them will be more experienced 
than others um, and they may not have had specific training on how to look for a tongue tie or how to assess for a tongue tie. Um, if you don't feel that you're getting the right support there, you can ask to be referred up to the next level above them, which would be whoever the, the breastfeeding coordinator is for that area. So quite a few of the trust areas now will have an, an IBCLC on the NHS, which is who are in the community. So you can be referred to them and they can assess and then they can refer you to, you know, to the clinic which whatever whatever route they go or if you're going to go privately you can contact an IDCLC somebody like me who will come on and assess feeding and have a look at the baby and, and see what's happening and can refer you on as well. And in terms of um, your consultations then Carol can you tell us a little bit about um, how you can support women and so, yeah. kind of what, what you would you know if, if, if there's any women out there pregnant at the minute um, and they're considering breastfeeding, what do you feel um, they should reach out and get support and, and, and how you could perhaps help them or, or yeah. So well I so I, I will I, I have an online breastfeeding preparation program which um, I worked I worked really hard on uh, which I think I think gives you a lot more realistic information than 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 you get maybe just at the trust where you've got a short class and it's it's very focused on this is how you often your baby feeds and, and that kind of thing. Not so much all of the that kind of normal behaviour that can kind of hit you about how you know about actually sometimes they might be cluster feeding and they might be feeding all day long or mm -hmm. it's okay that your baby wants to be with you all the time and this is and that it's normal to have some pee and this is what you're looking for, this is how you know what's normal, this is how you know what's not. So I put a lot of that in there. Spurts. So I have that. What about growth spurts? Growth yeah. So I didn't even know they existed. I knew yeah. obviously the baby would grow, but I did not know what a growth spurt was until six weeks. Six Sunny was six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh my days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have that on the website. So so yeah. people can access that on the website or I do, you know, or I will make people to do to go through preparation with them themselves. I think one of the biggest things that they can do though is get to a breastfeeding group. Yes. Before yes. their baby is born. Mm -hmm. I think I think you know, we learn from watching people. It's really I you mentioned earlier on about how you had so you've seen so few mm -hmm. people breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big thing. You know, if you lived in a Scandinavian country where virtually everyone mm -hmm. breastfeeds, it's very different to hear you'd be seeing it yeah. all the time mm -hmm. and people would be talking about it and it would be normal. You would understand how to position your baby and yeah. you'd hear people talking about, well, I had this problem and so I did this. Mm -hmm. And everybody would know a bit about it. If you heard, if you were having a problem, your sister, your aunt, your mum, your cousins, they all have breastfed and they'd all say, well, that happened to me and I did this. Mm -hmm. And so you, you have all of this support around you and we're missing that mm -hmm. here. But you can find it if you go to breastfeeding groups. Yes. And, it's, and I think it's even just watching, you know, mums, hold their babies, how their babies move and how they move at the breast and how you, you know, how you position them and all. I think it's, I think it's really important. Mm -hmm. I think we can learn a lot just from watching yeah. moms and their babies. What's kind of coming to me at the minute is, or the sense or the feeling that I'm getting at the minute is for women, you know, this is a really big thing and perhaps as women we need be a little bit kinder with ourselves and a little bit gentler with ourselves as well. You know, we're living in a society where it's not the norm, it's not the social norm. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it, it is a challenge. So it is for, for women to be a bit kinder to themselves and a bit 
more gentle. Absolutely. And to give themselves time and permission to get it, you know, to take a little bit of time to get that. It, it might not be perfect at the start, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that you're failing. It doesn't exactly. mean that you can't do it. Mm -hmm. It means that you're, you're, you know, it means that you're learning this thing and it's okay for it to take. Yeah. They must get it straight away. But if you, if you started to learn the piano, you wouldn't expect to know how to do it in a week. No, no, you know? no. But I think that's a really, really important message about it is a new skill and it does take time. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's, about, it's about finding the support around you, you know, people around you that will say you're doing really well. Yes. You know, this is fantastic. You know, even if your baby only feeds for, you know, a day or two, I mean, even those, those women who are, who start breastfeeding, but they stop the time they come out of hospital, they still made a huge difference to their baby, to their baby's health, you know, yeah. lifelong. The fact that their baby got colostrum is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And I think women should be really proud of themselves mm -hmm. for what they do. Yeah. And, we're, and, and we don't talk about that enough and they, we don't praise yeah. ourselves enough no. for, you know, for, for, for that kind of, for doing that, for the differences that we make to our babies. Yes. No matter how little or how often. No matter how, how little or how much. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Everybody is doing, everybody's doing the best for their baby with what they have. Yes, exactly. Um, and I think that's just a beautiful way for us to end um, our conversation. Thank you so, so much, Carol. Um, You're very welcome. And it's, um, yeah, it's been a really lovely conversation. Didn't really expect to talk about my birth, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, if you uh, would like some more information with regards to Carol and Carol's uh, amazing services, I will put a link to Carol's website um, and all of her details so you can get in touch. Um, thank you for listening and thank you for joining me, Carol. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks.